You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. This may come as a shock to you, but not everybody's brain works the same. Just like any other industry, we need to keep neurodivergence in mind within the green industry so that we can retain staff and get along better with our co-workers. In this episode, Kendra Burns helps us get into a compassionate mindset by explaining how we can often make it difficult for people by misunderstanding their needs. She's the host of the Talking Forests podcast, a virtual international social media consultant, speaker, content creator, and digital marketer that's had extensive experience around the topic of neurodivergence and accessibility in the workplace. While physical disabilities are an important topic to discuss, this episode revolves around different needs and abilities that might be a little bit more difficult to see. Welcome to the show, Kendra. Hello, Daniel. I'm very excited to be on the Plants Grow Here podcast, and it's so funny because we parallel each other all the time. I created a business called Talking Forests, and my podcast is also Talking Forests. And today we're going to be talking about inclusivity in the workplace. Yes, I'm also very excited to come on and talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, something that I have faced and had to go through for about 12 years now in the sector. Yeah, that's right. And so why do we need to talk about inclusivity in the workplace within the green industry? Because at this point, I think people don't know what it looks like. Right. And that's been a bit of a challenge when I go in and challenge someone or ask for inclusiveness that... Sometimes the sector has been taught to be exclusive and to also cater to people in exclusivity. And just because that's what we've done and just because that may be tradition or something that is commonality doesn't mean that it's right or just to keep doing. So what does it look like when somebody is maybe accidentally not being inclusive in the workplace? Um, Maybe if someone comes to the side and asks for a specific accommodation and they turn them down or they don't understand it, they don't seek to understand it and push them to the side. That has happened before. Or they have uh, somewhere in what they're doing, someone else is getting a privilege or a availability of something and there's another person doing something similar except for they don't get that availability. They don't get that same thing and that exclusivity that someone else is getting And so that's really important with people to understand that, yes, we want to cater to people who are special or specific, but we need to accommodate everyone and be inclusive. And that's something that I've been making sure when I go into a space or a meeting or conferences, whether it be in person or virtual, that we make sure and do. And there's things that I'm even learning. I have been with uh, hashtags and Twitter, for example. I didn't know for the hearing community who are deaf, when you do two lowercase, so let's say four is proud, which is lowercase, it needs to be uppercase, uppercase in order for the voice command of the phone to properly be able to pronounce it back to people who are deaf. Right. Otherwise, it just thinks it's all one word. Yes. And so those are things that I'm learning as well. And as a communicator in the industry, Whenever I create content, I try to create content that is audio, visual, 
and combining those as well as having written transcripts as well and the cop the closed captions so that you're capturing everyone in the sector and everyone in different uh, learning availabilities. That's fantastic. And it sounds to me, Kendra, like there might be multiple employees within an organization. They're all contributing to the benefit of everybody. And maybe there might be a couple of people who don't have the same needs that fit into the same box as everybody else. Yeah, I've definitely been there before with mental health and I had ADHD my entire life, and I didn't really know it. I was also kind of just swimming through life, not knowing. And there were accommodations I was making for myself that I didn't know I had to there within communicate to my employers over the years. And so a lot of, I found myself in a lot of disciplinary meetings of being insubordinate when it wasn't insubordinate. I wasn't, I had no intention to be insubordinate in quotes. Mm. However, I may have been divergent in my thinking and it wasn't welcome at times in certain employers. I've got ADD and I think it's given me a lot of strengths. And if people are willing to accommodate that, I think I have a lot to bring to the table that are outside of the box. Absolutely. I think that's why you and I are creators is because we've been able to find that space and break it open and and free ourselves in order to talk creatively and have these dialogues. Yeah, I don't do very well at sticking with one thing for long periods of time if I'm not passionate about it, but I can think very broadly and bring sort of unrelated tangents together and create a cohesive uh, something like this podcast, like you said. Yes, absolutely. Even before you got into your career, I'm guessing that there was probably a few challenges to overcome in terms of being included in school and stuff like that. Yes, there's a lot of firsts, which then I... I passed down to my mentees in the community college program that that I went to. And so I continued the journey in college of learning about plants. And I already had the botany side and I already understood taxonomy. And so I was that nerd on the chalkboard with taxonomy about any any being or any plant out there. And, you know, I still get excited today in my own gardening adventures when I see a plant that I haven't seen before in the same order next to each other on accident. And I, I just get elated. It's so cool to see nature, you know, being cohesive and, and, and living together and the mycelium network and the trees and the roots, they're all connected. And all these plants and trees and people are also connected to the earth and they can ground into the earth. And so that's something that I've continued doing and haven't haven't stopped even you know moving from Washington state I lived in Germany for 3 years and now I'm on the south southeast corner of the United States and there's a lot different climate and demographics so I have that base knowledge that we all learn in in you know primary school to high school going into college and in college, some of those things that you mentioned, I was one of the first women in the forestry program back in 2009 that I was in to actually pass everything, go through and get the association associate of science in forest management and continue going on to 
bachelor's degree to to be a graduate and all of that is very challenging when i think in my classroom at times there may be have, have been 40 men to three women back in 2009 hmm. and that was a really hard space to be in but i didn't let it stop me i kept going and i was able to build the natural resources club in the college and resurrect a chapter of the society of american foresters and i keep checking in with everyone and i still mentor those students today that are in that program and have graduated and i just checked in and they said that i put the college on the map <laughs> well that's quite the compliment kendra I know. I was just beside myself. I couldn't even. I said, oh, my goodness. And then we were having a conversation yesterday with all my mentees, and they've been getting hired into the city. And that city has been hiring women in forestry for the past four years. Wow. And that was something that I didn't have. I didn't have that availability. So something that I faced that was really hard was I was in nursery landscaping, and I competed in that. Like I took it very seriously. Nursery landscaping for me was a chance to not only be out with, you know, fellow peers and students and professors, but we would literally go in the United States to Home Depot and Lowe's and go to their nurseries and study plants together. And you had to memorize in the oral exams, I think you had to name off like 40 species, Latin names and then match them on paper. And it was insane, but a good way for me to utilize my intelligence and utilize my, my skills and abilities and transfer them easily to college. Because, you know, what you practice and what you're able to constantly go back to and keep relearning, you're able to not, you know, I'm not saying I'm an ex expert in any, any of these things, but you're able to have working knowledge of, I would say. Couldn't agree more, Kendra. So I'm guessing that right now there are probably some people listening who haven't really thought a whole lot about workplace inclusivity, or if they have, they probably just thought it's a bit of a drag and they haven't really thought about it very deeply. Kendra, can you please paint me a picture of what it's been like for you, both as a neurodivergent person and as a woman working within landscaping and forestry? Well, one of the ugly pictures I'll paint, which I know people don't like hearing, was I I grew up um, with a single mom. I was push mowing. I was weed whacking. And in my college at the time, I was also learning chainsaw. And so I had the skills and abilities by the time I went into my early career. And I had the intelligence. I had the accolades. And apparently that still didn't matter in 2013 when I graduated with my bachelor's degree and all those skills that I mentioned. I went to apply for a state nursery job in in the, yeah, the capital city of where I, the state I was raised in. And I was faced with adversity in that I didn't have equipment experience at a previous job. And so no matter how much I had learned or physically done and landscaping was actually one of my off the cuff jobs that I did 
since I was a kid. Um, I used to water gardens at, during summer. I used to go in and pull weeds and do landscaping as hobby and still wasn't respected. None of that was respected. I still got denied jobs because they weren't willing to teach me their equipment. And I think that people listening to this podcast, for those of you who have the ability, who who can be on a hiring team or interviewing and managing, you need to think about that for the future and how we can change that. That's absolutely right. And I'd like to talk about some of the ways that we can do better when we're hiring inclusively in the workplace very shortly. But what are some examples of other, you know, people who've been sort of pushed aside that you've seen within your career? A lot of administrative positions. So what happened when I started working in forestry, um, another picture to paint was my resume was so heavy in working as an assistant in offices that when I did finally get out and, you know, actually I did have field positions. I worked at Seattle Audubon Society and I worked at a well-known forestry company internships and I proved myself. But the problem with this is that I was expected to continue to prove myself even though I already had the accolades. Hmm. And that as a woman continuing to prove myself, you're going to you're going to lead us to burnout and we're not going to want to work for you and we're going to go work somewhere else. So, honestly, a lot of women, if you look at the st- statistics, they are working in conservation. They're not working in these fields that we're discussing today. That's really interesting. So, do you think that we're not doing a very good job in forestry and landscaping and horticulture of being inclusive? I think that we can definitely change and do better. And, you know, there's even times where my neurodivergence, I haven't been able to understand it. And I didn't know an accommodation that I needed at times. And I also wasn't voicing it. So you have to be patient and understanding. And I think everyone actually is born with a gift and letting them have that gift and keeping that open space for discussion is really important. Also offering some type of unbiased service or a third party that can have discussions with these types of people is always really helpful as well so that they don't feel like they're going up against. For example, I was in an organization where I was the executive assistant under the executive director and we didn't have human resources. So that executive director was doing questionable things to me and I had no one to report it to until I realized that there was a board of of people I could contact and there was only one woman on the board. So I wrote my my letter of of uh and journal of what was occurring and I sent it to that one female board member and she had coffee with me and she said, Kendra, do you have anything lined up? And I said, Yes, ma'am. And you know, ironically, after that experience, I ended up in the state. I worked for state parks and I worked for Washington State Patrol as a human resources consultant Mm. because I was doing something about it at that point. That's fantastic. So I guess in some larger organizations, they do have a human resources department or somebody that you can talk to. But a lot of the time, and this has been my experience working in smaller companies, 
there's no one you can turn to if there's a problem. That it's literally just the boss and then you. Exactly. And that's not safe. So what advice would you have for somebody who's in an uncomfortable position within a small company and they don't have anybody that they can turn to? Or maybe even somebody who has turned to human resources and they didn't find their help very helpful? Oh, yes. I've actually been talking with people about this because it is quite the conundrum. <laughs> it is quite the the issue. So first of all, write a journal of what is going on with timestamps and names. And it can be either handwritten, um, any accommodation. It could be you recording audio into your phone and getting it transcribed. It can be you typing to yourself, anything like that. And that will be able to have your thoughts on paper because sometimes in neurodivergence, our thoughts are all over the place. And so we're trying to find a way to have a voice and to communicate. So the other thing that you can do in small organizations is go to outside services and to maybe talk to someone who you're comfortable with within the company, but not someone that is leading the company. Mm. So just someone who can give you a bit of support, even if they're not in a position to be able to do the hiring and firing or changing of the circumstances. Yeah, it's always nice to get another angle and understand because with my neurodivergence, I've, I've dealt with a lot of hypervigilance and I automatically, and this is, the, you know, something I've learned over the past two years being in therapy is that I have a tendency to look at situations at their worst at all times. And that's how I view the world. It's a very pessimistic way to live, but that if we talk to other people, Maybe they can help us understand or see both sides mm. and that sometimes that can help. Okay. So maybe it's, the situation isn't actually as bad as what you think it is. It's just uh, a miscommunication or maybe it's just that your expectations are out of alignment with reality. Yeah. Sometimes it can be that. And then there was just a miscommunication. So at that point, you know, I open it up to bringing it to leadership or having people help write, or if that's something I need an accommodation, I will usually ask people to help me write out what to say and how to say it since I'm not in, at that point, a good sensible state. But, you know, the other thing that if you want to flip this coin a little bit is that, you know, all of our feelings are valid. And if someone just ends up doing something in a company where they're taking your spot or they're they're taking your work or something like that, you are valid in that that doesn't feel good. Um, mm. So sit with that feeling and see see why. And then if you do address that person and they they have a reaction that is uh, not very nice, then they all they also have to feel what they're feeling and why they're reacting that way. Totally. And it sounds like part of your advice is taking a step back just getting in touch with your feelings and not jumping the gun and making a move straight away because you can often make ineffective and powerless moves if you just sort of run in like a bull at a gate and you have a lot more power if you can take a step back and use your brain to really come up with an action plan. Uh, yes, definitely. And so that's what I've done is for the executive director that was not acting favorably for me, that was three months worth of uh, journaling and coming up with 
the best way to approach it. And the female board member and I had coffee and she said, you know, it's time. I understand you. You need to resign. I fully support you. And then what ended up happening was the entire board backed me and Mm. that person ended up getting fired. Not, Not, I don't think by me, but eventually down the road, I think more came to surface. And that's sometimes it's your journey just to point something out and that's okay. Mm, So it doesn't get fixed for you. You've moved on to another workplace, but you can sleep at night knowing that you've helped other people not have to go through the same thing. I would say exactly. And I didn't even know at the time I was doing that in the moment. I felt like I was just, you know, narking or (laughs) being the tattletale or whatever. But, you know, you know, what's funny about this that just came to my mind is that there are people probably dealing with the same exact behavior from that person and they don't they also don't know how to voice it or do anything about it. So, you know, you are very valid in what you're feeling again and even other people may be experiencing the same thing from that same person. So it is worth, you know, chalking up into something that can be action oriented and that people can help you have that voice and support you when when the time comes but it doesn't have to be right away and you don't have to leave the company or try to transfer or anything like that and try to see what the options are from the company view as well so that you're not just stuck and you know burning bridges as a team leader I would really like to know if I'm doing something that's upsetting somebody. I don't want them to suffer in silence because I know that I can change my behavior and I'm I'm ready to change my behavior. If I'm doing something that's wrong, I want somebody to tell me. And it's a balance because it's like, yes, you could say I'm in a position of power. So someone might not want to address me. They might want to go straight to the big boss and then he can sort of deal with me. But But I think... In my situation, I think I would like to be told directly just in a casual way, hey, I don't like it when you do that. What do you think about that sort of approach? I think absolutely that that's a good first step because that's also basically taking the temperature of the person who's offending. Mm. And I think that that's very important, just like when it comes to plants, they have a certain temperature and they have to be in a certain facing window and Hmm. watered at a certain rate to be able to grow. Great point. And sometimes you can just switch one little thing, like, you know, give them a bit more fertilizer or a bit less fertilizer. You don't have to throw the whole plant out and get them fired. That's exactly, I like how we related (laughs) that to the the Plants Grow Here podcast. Yes. Yes. Sometimes when I'm in the work, somebody will say something that's actually quite offensive. It's not offensive to me, but I still get offended because it's blatantly racist or sexist or, you know, homophobic or something like that. And in the past, I've struggled whether to say it because I wonder, is this even going to land on ears that can hear me? Or am I just going to get dumped in some kind of like, oh, you're just annoying, take things too seriously, don't know how to take a joke? Because it's really hard to communicate with people. Yeah, that's a hard one because we are trying to be inclusive and when we're talking, sometimes we are jaded and sometimes we don't know when we cross the line with someone. And that's been really interesting to watch now as an aware neurodiverse person. I was very, I was on autopilot and unaware for 29 years. And so that was really interesting when I finally woke up to 
be able to start uh, labeling what I was going through. And when I realized I needed more help and I was starting to ask for accommodations instead of just doing my own accommodations. So when you when you talk and when you're outspoken, there are those guidelines and social norms, I would put in quotes, that, you know, most people follow. And when someone finally does have a problem or is offended by something you say and they, in a roundabout way, come to you or someone else comes to you and said, you know, so-and-so said this and it, 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 it's offensive to them and that kind of thing, then it gives you a chance to course correct. And if you don't take that, that person's challenge, then what is happening is you're just continuing to not hear someone. And I think like Daniel, you said in the, the earlier part of our podcast episode is that you know, you rather would have someone come to you and say, hey, this was not favorable. This is not something that I thought that we were doing. We did not agree on this. And that, especially with volunteerism, I think a lot of people get wrapped up in getting everything done. And there are certain things that need to be given credit to and people need and and they deserve credit for their work. So you can't just take people's work and run you have to give credit to them. And if someone is a creator and they're having issues with some operation on on someone's side and they say, hey, this this is not working out for me, then yeah, it'd be great to have that dialogue back and forth. And I will say this, just because someone is approaching you with a problem doesn't mean that there is a problem because you can solve it with, with that person. And with offending people. I think that especially on Twitter nowadays, it's been very open. And I like going there because there's so many different conversations going on in many different topics. And I really do enjoy, you know, plant talks, academic talks. And I'm not even in college and I still follow academics. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm, you know, very much a professional in the industry. And I think that we need to teach each other how to treat each other and how we want to be treated. Completely agree, Kendra. I've worked with some, particularly it's the older fellas, right? And they'll just say some things and you just sit there thinking like, how are we ever going to get a diverse workplace when you're talking like that? Because if I was that particular, you know, race or sexuality or whatever that's being denigrated, I wouldn't want to work here, man. Yeah. And that's that's also really hard too, is um, when you hear it blatant and you have to call it out. So if if it's that blatant, that's really hard. And it's the other thing that we're struggling with here. And I can, I can hear in kind of what we're discussing is people in a position of power, you are innately taught by society standards in quotes that you don't challenge people with power. But if, if you continue to let them get away with being racist, then you are going to perpetuate a systematic problem and it's not going to change the organization and you can talk about diversity equity inclusion all you want and have it all in your marketing have it all up on your website (laughs) but until you're actually doing the work and going through it and going through those challenges with your employees and how they value that kind of thing it's not something that will be able to to change Mm. 
And I've got compassion for those older fellas too because that's how they were raised and the world's changing. It must be scary to watch the world changing. But, yeah, as long as people are working on their problems and they're sort of trying to be conscious, I think we've got to give them a bit of grace because people are going to stuff up from time to time. Oh, yes. And I just went to an in-person conference with 250 people. And the first thing I noticed was that people were being weird. And I kind of chalked it up to the fact that, you know, we haven't done in-person things as a collective and we don't know how to act anymore. And, you know, I just was like, man, it, it just felt weird. There were like I had this uh, elevator exchange with someone in an elevator I had my service dog with me and I was wearing a a plaid flannel shirt with a a cap that was I actually got from Scotland and it was that plaid flannel with the fur and you know it had my ears covered and I was getting ready to to head outside to have my dog, you know, go to the bathroom and this woman came into the elevator. She had a mask on that was from the conference and it was just the start, very the, the first day, the first hours of just everyone checking in. And she took one look at me and said, oh, these masks are for people with the conference. And I was like, oh, OK. And I, I didn't I didn't tell her. I, I just stayed silent. But I wanted to say, you know, I I I am a part of the conference <laughs> just because I look like this right now with my flannel doesn't mean that I'm not a part of the conference. So what am I teaching the audience here is I'm teaching to to not judge. Right. So they've judged you. They've said, oh, this person here walking around with the dog and in this sort of clothing, they couldn't possibly be a part of the conference. They just made a mistake and they don't understand what's going on. And then you stand up on stage and then suddenly that clicks for them. Oh, I've misjudged this person. Yes, exactly. So what can bosses and co-workers do within the workplace to create a more diverse and inclusive environment, in your opinion, Kendra? Well, I'm actually doing this hard work right now and working with organizations to bring toolkits to companies to be able to work through each of these things because they all have different meaning and inclusion is really important and equity. And so in the past, there has been a lot of conference goings out there where people will reward people who have paid or reward sponsors who have paid, you know, a lot of money. And there are a lot of volunteers that run around. And just because you're volunteering doesn't mean that you're worthless comparatively to the sponsors and that those things the other thing that's really hard, and I'll, I'll just be frank, is that I consider it the pay-to-play system. It's kind of similar to to sponsorship and, and whatnot. But also, there are positions on boards where people are paid to be on the board. And in a lot of corporations, they're paid to have a seat at the table. And those champions, as I call them, usually get the voice. And it's drowning out any diversity available because people who don't historically have money are also diverse. So, you know, I know in in arboriculture and natural resources that there's all these companies out there that are, you know, Bartlett tree experts and, 
you know, Arbor Culture or the Department of or whatever. But the thing is, is that that's not inclusive. And that that model is not working for everyone because the people who are doing the admin work or doing registration at your conference or whatever, whatever are also valued at the same. They've been putting in the same amount of hours, no matter if it's volunteer or not. And, you know, when a creator comes and documents your meetings and conferences and whatnot, you know, that's also a whole nother in-kind donation if they're doing it as volunteer work. So if you think of the, if, as people, you know, like that, if no matter if you're, if you're ARB, you're going out and you're cutting trees, or if the person in your company is accounting, we're the same. And unfortunately, sometimes there's an unconscious bias there too. I've heard of a phenomenon happening where a lot of people are taking their name off their resume if it doesn't sound like an Anglo- <laughs> Anglo-Saxon name because apparently they're finding, and this is quite shocking, that they can actually get a higher success rate for the first interview if they simply take their name off or if they just change their name to John or something like that. Oh, that's also been a struggle of mine. My name is Unique. And I've had my entire life people say it, pronounce it, spell it. I mean, there's always that joke about, well, I'm from Seattle where the original Starbucks was created. But, you know, when coffee makers were writing on cups and they couldn't spell people's names, well, that was that's my forever struggle. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I take that as a a fun time. I just laugh it off, you know, and I'm just like, okay, well, I'm not Cassandra, but <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> and uh, I am quarter Canadian, so you've probably already heard the aboot and yeah, the accent. A but boot. <laughs> yep. So a, a um, Kendra um, originated from my mom's name, which is Candy, and. My mom is half Canadian and my grandma and my great aunt are full Canadian. And my nickname was Canada in elementary school. So, yeah. So that's that's also very interesting that people are in. And that's I would say that trying to be someone else is a lot harder than just being yourself. Hmm. Yeah, and I worry about that because you put your wrong name on the thing and then you turn up to the interview and you have a different name. It just sounds confusing and it might get you into trouble in that way as well. The employer might be offended or, yeah. Yeah, definitely not a great idea. And I think we should accept our uniqueness and our unique names for the way they are. Absolutely agree. And if you have a boss that's going to be discriminating based off of your name, even if it is unconscious... It just sounds like a nightmare work environment anyway, Kendra. Yeah, I don't think I could continue. Mm, no, I don't think I could. So what do you think about the idea of, say, employers favoring people who are more diverse, you know, instead of just going off, you know, maybe you've got two people, one of them's a white male who has more experience and has done a better, you know, done a better job of creating their CV, or maybe somebody who is from a diverse background who doesn't have the same experience or doesn't have the same skills or the same qualifications, and maybe their CV doesn't look quite as professional. Yeah, exactly. That has been very interesting. I love, I actually love LinkedIn because that's given me the availability to be very transparent with everything and teach other people how to do the same, which I value a lot. 
And so the comparing experience, there's something that I want to tell your audience that they might not know is that women will honestly not apply for a job if they don't qualify for, I think it's, if they, if they have to rule out, I think two things at the least, they'll probably not apply, but men will apply for it anyway, all the qualifications. And so that's, that's been a little tricky to hear. And something that I also did not realize was a bias or that women were placing on themselves that they're not good enough to even apply. And so looking at that kind of thing, I think that some of the other available options in, and I, I do have a background in human resources. I worked in that space for quite a while. And so I've, I've actually seen what you're talking about face to face and up against each other from interview side to the recruiting side, you know, to see the paperwork. And, you know, it's really hard when your hiring managers have the power because they can pick whoever they want. So when we are working on our cover letters and resumes and we put them, you know, together with diverse candidates versus, you know, white males or something like that, then we are, you know, essentially going who's better, but that's not what's going to, you know, actually keep your company going. I think what keeps companies going is being heard and seen in a company. And so I think picking the best candidate for the company, not at their competitive skills, I think is important. Right. So you're trying to build a team. You're not trying to build just a bunch of stars. Yeah. I mean, I naturally coped with being the gold star child for a very long time because success is what got me where I am today. But I realized that I don't have to continue doing that. That's I don't need that constant validation and all those trophies and awards and accolades to be a good human being. Hmm. That's a good point. And I think a lot of good work in the workplace does go unnoticed and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, integrity, doing the right thing when no one's looking. Absolutely. Kendra, is there anything else that I should have asked you or anything that we've neglected to mention about workplace inclusivity that could really help hiring managers and staff? So, yes, there's absolutely something that I have witnessed in the industry, and I'm sure in ARB you guys hear this all the time, but how are we going to replace our climbers or, you know, our workforce is dying? <laughs> mm. I, I hear these things. Do you hear them, Daniel? Uh, I'm not so much in arboriculture, but I hear it from arboriculturists, but it's, you know, um, a, a lot of people can join horticulture, but it takes a special person to climb a tree, Kendra. Exactly. Yes. So that's what I'm saying is that special skill set is similar to logging and truck driving. They're all right now screaming for employees to come in and for people to come work, but they're not being replaced. And why I think that is, is because we have not been inclusive and we have not created a work environment that people want to work in. I will tell you honestly, a lot of the old thoughts are you have to wake up at 3 a.m. and hustle. And, you know, people physically can't do that in the, the day that we day and age that we live in today. It it doesn't work that way. And we we are having to interface with automation and machines and 
learn new technology. And so that takes time and effort and working that into our efficient programs in companies is important, but also not losing our our sight on human interaction either. So what I'm saying here is as well, if you're wanting to get people into these specific positions that you're worried about continuing, then we need to be transparent. We need to be open about salaries. So I don't look at jobs that don't have salary postings inside of them. And I also have been creating in my business ways to actually show jobs and post them on the internet so that people can see them because this is hard to say, but word of mouth is dying. It's it's not going to continue. And so you can't just tell your friend Bob or, you know, call up John and say, hey, do you want a job? That's not how this works anymore. You have to be fair and go through the interview process and find the perfect fit for your company and also, you know, make sure that that process is transparent and that many people know about this position or else you're not going to get it filled with the ideal candidate. That's absolutely wonderful, Kendra. I think a lot of people seem to be stuck in the industrial revolution where, yeah, it's like, you know, you got to basically you're owned by your job and that's just not the way people are thinking anymore. People want to be free. Yeah. They want to choose their own hours. They want flexibility. They want to be valued in the workplace for their individual traits. The eight to five knock on knock on wood, the eight to five is dying. Yeah, <laughs> it just I hope is. so. <laughs> and I and I'm hoping that COVID was one of the last nails in that coffin, Kendra. Yeah, absolutely. I see that it is. It's a mass awakening. I was in Germany when it was happening and I've since landed in the in the States and there are a lot of people, like you've said in this episode, that are upset about change, but you know, it has to because the people who who are living on this earth and who want to live in the next 20 years and work want to be able to afford to live and live in freedom in that 40-hour work week. More and more women are in the workforce today and they cannot stay in those constraints when you also want them to have children Mm. and work. It's just not going to happen. That's a great point. I think... Yeah. What, what what do you think about, what advice would you have for a woman who wants to get pregnant, but they want to get a job as well? Like, should they disclose that or should they keep that secret? This is the same exact question I get as a military spouse. Should I disclose that I'm a military spouse? Wow. Why? Because they're going to move. Yes, because uh. there's, there's unconscious bias and biases toward, and stereotypes towards military spouses who are women who will essentially, yeah, be moving all the time. Right. And that's not true. We're we're hard workers and we have the ability to be flex and, you know, that's really valued in most companies. And if you find a company that values that, then you're golden and you should be able to work, you know, just as anyone else. But but yes, there's a lot of double standard going on right now in the world about women and how, you know, we bear children and yet we're supposed to work and provide and do all these things. But you know what I've learned over the years, and I've been with my husband for eight years, we did not marry right away. So we actually lived together. And you know, I'm just talking right now about breaking, breaking Christianity and breaking Catholicism and, you know, breaking all these books that have been written around the world to tell us a guide as to what to do and how to live. And that monogamous family of just going to work eight to five and just mindlessly 
not living in their in their true selves and their their true freedom, you know, you're you're killing creativity. You're not inviting innovation. And people who are pregnant, that is just a whole nother part of life. It just as women, we've just accepted it. It's just it just is something that we do and we have the capability of doing because that's what we were given. And so we don't have to do it in the way that these biblical books have told us to do. We can also work from home and we can have parental leave. And I think what I'm watching more and more now and something that is good to to say to your audience is that companies that are giving paid leave options and parental leave, that is needed. That in, And if your your people are asking for it, it's because they need it to have that break. So yeah. Mm. That's wonderful. I think, you know, we have these traditions and then we have innovation and it's a constant balance between those two things. And I think, yeah, to to just deny that we need to bring in innovation into society is lunacy to me. I mean, look how much the world has changed over literally the last 100 years. Yes. It's so funny that you just said that because I actually flew to Arizona to give a presentation on how to use social media. And I gave this speech to room full of researchers. And I, you know, I get off the podium and I start walking down the aisle and I'm, I'm hearing conversations flying about social media. And one of the first challenges I got off podium was a white male who came to me and said, I don't see why we would need social media. And this is not something that I, I would bring to my company and Mm. Facebook (laughs) is the devil and this and that. And and, you know, I think what I did was I challenged his his core beliefs. I, I challenged his way of living. And that's OK. It, it, it's not going to work for for him. But why not let other people have that chance to to use social media and to have the platform? Because, you know, each platform has influencers that are making a living off of it, you know, and if that's their way of living, they don't have to work in the woods or in the gardens or out on trees. And they're not any less of a person because of that. Well, that's absolutely right. And I think that guy's crazy to say his business doesn't need social media because literally what he's saying is, I don't need to talk to my customers. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> going to do anything other th- other than word of mouth. And I'm like, okay, well, sorry, but you're going to die eventually. You and your company are not going to survive. Not in this day and age, Kendra. So I always like to ask my guests one final question, and it doesn't have to be related to the topic that we've been talking about. What else would you like the listeners to know about? My innate love for plants. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I just absolutely everywhere I go. So here, here's how hard my love is for plants. I have had rental homes in Washington state. I started my own perennial garden and started my own native garden. And the native garden, I started from native seeds from the, we call it our college extension office. So an extension office is a university program that bridges the public. And so they they were giving away free seed packets. And so I took the opportunity to put them in my, my front yard at the time. And it was so amazing I grew lupines that were taller than me. Wow. I couldn't even. And lupine is there out in the mountainous regions. And we were in the foothills of Mount Rainier. But I did that on complete total accident. And then I learned about species 
in the area that I hadn't grown before because when you just put a seed bank down and, you know, water it, you never know what will come. And that's the surprise that I I enjoy. And then building those gardens, I was, you know, I had to basically build it and leave because they weren't that wasn't my house. I wasn't the owner of the house. So I did that in Washington state. And then when I moved to Germany, um, the first place that we visited actually in 2018, once we got settled was the Netherlands. We went and visited the Kirkenhof tulips and the farms out there. And we were so inspired that we went into our local nurseries in Germany. Um, I think the brand out there was Dana, Dana, and then Hans. And we went into those nurseries and got as many tulips and daffodils as we could. And our retainer wall in our rental was actually made of uh, round, round bricks that were perfect for two or three seeds or bulbs. And so I planted 150 tulips and daffodils in November and they came up in spring every year I lived there and every year thereafter for someone else. Hmm. So they're just constantly dropping new seeds. Every year they come back because that seed bank exists. Yep. And I made sure that it looked beautiful. And the other thing that I'm learning is that invasive species is a big topic. That's a whole nother episode, of course, you've probably done with other people. But I had to rip out out of the German garden English ivy. And what's so funny is that hmm. it's we're in Germany, but the housing that we're in was happened to be bought up by Americans that were of the military. And some American brought in an ivy plant and thought it would be, you know, pretty. And it ended up taking over the whole yard. And, you know, the same for the Northwest. We have issues with scotch broom. And scotch broom is central is from Central Europe, so it it does fine there. It doesn't take over the landscape. However, it does in the not native areas. And then um, kudzu is really bad in the south. I've been noticing. I haven't seen that one as prevalent in the northwest, but it's pretty bad. And then you know there are areas where bamboo is not native, but it does grow and it, and it will take over a landscape. And so those are things that I've also been learning and sensitive to as I go travel the the country yeah those are a couple i mean the bamboo i'm dealing with uh, a client at the moment where they have bamboo coming in from two different sides from two different neighbors and it's i, I don't know the scientific name for this particular bamboo but if you you know what i'm talking about if you know it it's sort of just spreads and it gets underneath the foundations of a house and it can cause serious serious damage and it's really bad when your neighbor has it you can eradicate it all you want and those roots are just going to keep coming over your way. And if you take your eye off the ball for just one year, it's all over. Yes, same thing with scotch broom because it's legume. And legume is like a pea pod. It pops open and if you don't catch it early enough and if you don't burn it, it will fester and will take over the landscape. So yeah, these are things that you know people don't know about and people struggle with. Every time that they they move into a new space or buy a new piece of property, and I think what's exciting, Daniel, is that we have these experts and we have these landscapers and arbs and everyone horticulture, you know, coming together to educate the public in these types of things. 
Yeah, it is beautiful, Kendra, and there are a lot of different resources out there. And I'm going to have a few links in the show notes to resources specifically for this episode about workplace inclusion and equity and diversity. So I'd urge our listeners to check the show notes and I'll actually get a little bit of help from you, Kendra, because I think that you probably have a few resources up your sleeve. Would I be right? Um, I have been getting a toolkit together with Society of American Foresters. It has not been released yet, but I can let you know when that comes out. It's a 25-page effort that came from a survey that we did of our members for the past two years. And so that's something that will be coming down the pike. And also just, you know, like we said earlier in the in the show, just talking with people openly and letting them know that, you know, what they're what they're saying is hard to hear or that you're having an issue and being more open to criticism and challenges is kind of where we're the, the direction we're needing to move in to be more inclusive and understanding of others. And, you know, ultimately, we are all sentient beings with feelings and that's we feel first before we we uh, think so that has to be honored that's a really good point we are emotional beings and we're not just logical ones we're not robots Kendra we actually have feelings yeah and so that's okay to actually discuss them and open them up to others and so that's you know if anything that's what plants teach me is is to to ground and to take others into consideration. Kendra, we have to do another episode about plants. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) We'll book it in. Thanks again for coming on the show, Kendra. That was an awesome episode. Yeah, I'm excited to have more people talking about this kind of stuff. And it's just open conversation. We're not pointing fingers. It's just absolutely bringing in more workplace inclusivity. Great point, Kendra. We're not pointing fingers. We just want to create the kind of world that we all want to live in. Yes, that is the goal. (laughs) If you're a business owner or a staff member in a leadership position, I hope this episode's given you food for thought. I wonder if there's even more that you can be doing to foster an encouraging environment for all of your staff members, regardless of how their brain works. Obviously, not every person is cut out for every role, but sometimes it's our fault as leaders that the workers under our supervision aren't thriving. If you found this episode insightful, check out the Talking Forests podcast and also scroll through the past episodes that we've done on the Plants Grow Here podcast.